In mid-July of 2023, a gaming news site called Z-League published an article about a new feature that would soon come to the remarkably still popular after all these years massively multiplayer online game, World of Warcraft. That feature, called Glorbo. Among other sub-features, Glorbo would include a new mandatory item called Click Clack, a huge new quest to depose Quackian, the aspect of ducks, and a, quote, small cozy island, end quote, called Zoop. The publication of this article was celebrated on a World of Warcraft subreddit, a game-specific forum on Reddit, not because everyone was super excited about this seemingly bulky new game update, but because the Glorbo update was not real. This subreddit community had made it all up. They did this because it was becoming increasingly clear that Z-League was using some kind of bot to scan the conversations taking place in that subreddit, and then using AI to generate articles based on those conversations, before then publishing those pieces to their site. So rather than reporting on actual news or doing any kind of reporting at all, this website was scraping what happened in this popular subreddit, grabbing keywords and popular discussion topics, then auto-generating articles based on all that hubbub, all that conversation, creating something a bit like game industry reporting, but without the traditional trappings of journalism. No speaking to the people involved, no fact-checking, just sucking up and spitting back out the content of a forum, without the permission of those participating in that forum, or compensating them in any way. This did not go over well with the denizens of this subreddit, hence their effort to intentionally feed this seeming AI system bad data, to poison the well, essentially, making up the concept of Glorbo and an increasingly elaborate and silly feature set in order to show how ridiculous this approach to pseudo-journalism is, and how easy it can be to feed such a system bad information, only to have that system then guilelessly report those made-up stories and facts as actual things. Everyone in the community seemed to have had a good time with this, and even the folks who make the game have gotten involved. One of the senior developers of the game tweeted out his relief about being able to finally talk about Glorbo after 15 years working on it. So this has turned out to be a fun little adventure for everyone who cares about this particular game and the community that has aggregated around it over the years. It has also underlined why this model of reporting is so pernicious. It's easy to exploit, it is riddled with flaws, but it's also an excellent way to churn out essentially endless content, as the author behind that Glorbo post on Z-League, the one that reported upon Glorbo as if it was real, posts something like a dozen articles to the site every single day. That is great! for the site's search engine optimization and ability to make money from ad views. And it is reasonable to assume that there are gobs of these sites out there on the web already, many of them transitioning from a model wherein they would hire people to do this kind of forum scanning and regurgitating manually. But now they're able to do the same automatically with a lot less overhead. 
One person could do the work of dozens of people, having their software track different fan communities or news feeds before then clicking a few buttons to turn all that tracking data into new articles they can post on their sites. What I'd like to talk about today is how this same dynamic is playing out across the larger journalism ecosystem beyond the World of Warcraft beat and some of the conflicts and potential solutions that are already arising as a consequence. You are listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. There's a publishing company called GO Media, which owns a slew of popular online publications, among them Kotaku, Jalopnik, The Onion, Quartz, Deadspin, Jezebel, and The AV Club. It also owns Gizmodo, a generally well-regarded tech, science, and science fiction publication that operates along the same lines as TechCrunch or The Verge. Anything vaguely geeky is its wheelhouse, and it's been around long enough that it's earned a decent reputation, despite the many caveats that we have to apply to all tech-centered sites because of their close-knit relationships with the very tech industry they report upon, which can lead to questions of credibility at times. That's an issue across the whole of the tech reporting world. In isolation from that broader sub-industry, though, Gizmodo recently innovated its way into a new credibility issue when it decided to start experimenting with artificial intelligence tools, publishing, amongst a handful of other pieces, a piece called A Chronological List of Star Wars Movies and TV Shows, which included a bundle of factual errors that were obvious to fans of the Star Wars universe, but which apparently sailed right past any editors or other filtering mechanisms the folks in charge had in place. Several people who actually report and write for GO Media Publications said they did not get a heads up about the piece going out when it went out, which would seem to raise questions about who is running these AI experiments and why. It would stand to reason that people high up the corporate food chain might be checking to see how many human beings they truly need in the loop to publish various sorts of content, as another piece that was published in the AV Club parallel to the Star Wars flub, was a listicle about movies from 2003 you might want to watch. And that seemed to do okay, though that type of content required no original writing or analysis, suggesting that it might be a good target for this type of tool in the future, as such pieces could be churned out in bulk without having to pay any writers at all, while still serving the publication's traffic-attracting ambitions. This new GO Media move, and the pushback against it, flubs and all, is resplendent of another recent move made by CNET, which is a tech world news entity, and one that has been traditionally pretty well regarded. The folks in charge at CNET decided to start publishing articles using AI tools, resulting in work that had gobs of factual inaccuracies and entirely made-up information which ultimately necessitated human writers and editors comb through all those pieces post-publication to correct the inaccuracies and remove all the confabulations after the reputational damage had already been done. The people behind Men's Health and Sports Illustrated launched a similar gambit at the beginning of 2023 with similar outcomes. 
major corrections necessary, human hours required to make those corrections, and the reputation of these publications damaged as a consequence. These early AI for publishing outcomes would seem to imply that this is a bad move and an obvious misstep for anyone who attempts it, but the incentives for folks in this space suggest such entities and the people running them will almost certainly continue to experiment in this way despite those risks. Many of these publications are reliant on ad views and clicks for most of their income, while subscriptions are important in some cases, and that's a business model that tends to encourage quality over quantity, but ad views tend to encourage quantity over quality, as more stuff churned out faster with a higher number of relevant keywords and other search-grabbing content will lead to more click-throughs more of their ads viewed, and more revenue for the companies behind these publications. That's how they make money and persist as viable business entities. Their expenses, the money headed in the other direction, are heavily centered on the production of this type of content. And it's been the case for a long time now that many writers, especially those early in their career, spend just a silly amount of time churning out quick-paced, keyword-laden pieces that are not high quality in terms of human consumption, but which are great for that aforementioned intended outcome of generating more clicks, clickbait pieces, to use the industry vernacular. And this is not ideal for a lot of reasons from many perspectives, but this is where the economic incentives are aggregated in the industry as of the moment, even for high quality publications. Even the really good stuff that relies partly on subscriptions and memberships still tend to have facets of their business focused on SEO-optimizing, ad-view-centered content that they're not proud of, but which is necessary to keep the lights on because of where their bread is buttered. It makes sense, then, from the perspective of the people up top in these companies, those who in many cases do not particularly care what they publish, as long as more money comes in and less money goes out, that they might jump at the chance to produce the same amount or even more content while having to pay fewer human beings. If you can pay a relatively small monthly fee to use an AI tool to soak up information about a particular topic and then churn out articles in a consistent format about that topic, that could result in huge savings, allowing you to keep all that money you would otherwise spend on paychecks and freelancers. If you can get that same AI tool to recommend articles to write about, to come up with the headlines, and to maybe even edit the work that you still have produced by humans, that's an even bigger win from a financial standpoint. So the people in charge of many publications of all shapes and sizes are heavily incentivized to figure out a way to make these new tools work, even if that means some embarrassing early fits and starts, because from their perspective, this is the ultimate new advantage that will allow them to survive tough economic times, but also to grow their content base in a meaningful way, which in turn will increase their monetary inflows and reduce their outflows. It's not just money-fixated CEOs that are interested in the potential of AI-based tools, though. The Associated Press, a very well-regarded international news entity, has made a deal with OpenAI, the company behind the immensely popular ChatGPT AI chatbot, to provide its content to the AI company to inform and train their software models using those very well-regarded news-focused 
raw materials. This is interesting, in part because the AP already makes a fair amount of revenue from selling their articles to other publications, allowing those other publications to fill the gaps in their own reporting by republishing AP content. They're able to do this because their journalism is high quality, and that makes it a suitable and desirable white label filler that these customer publications know will not embarrass them with falsehoods or unsupported information. If there were a bot like ChatGPT that was informed by just Associated Press reporting then, that bot could be immensely well-informed, which would make it almost uniquely qualified if it used that data correctly at least, without the made-up filler that such AI are prone to when they lack sufficient information. It would be almost uniquely qualified to share said information in the form of AI-written articles, and potentially would even be able to come up with some types of analysis. Google is also in the process of testing a new product that it says will be able to help journalists write their articles. And it's already demonstrated an early version of this tool for executives at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and News Corp, which owns the Wall Street Journal and Fox News. This tool, which bears the internal project name Genesis, can reportedly be fed information and then spit out a news story based on that information. The idea is to have Genesis serve as a sort of personal assistant for journalists, rather than replacing them, which would allow reporters to do more of what they're best at while handing off some of the busy work, the reshaping of all that reportage they do into stylebook-adhering content. It would hand that off to these AI tools. The feedback from folks who were privy to these Genesis demonstrations was not great. The tool was described as unsettling, and two people told The Times that the folks behind Genesis seemed to take the process of producing high-quality news stories for granted. A common criticism from folks in all fields when engineers who build software step into their space and try to simplify and to some degree commodify some aspect of their work. It does seem likely that at some point, some version of this type of tool could become common, perhaps even standard in the journalism world though, especially if these tools would allow the higher ups to churn out the low quality but click grabbing content that they want at scale, while also allowing real deal reporters to do their work faster and perhaps by some metrics at least better. That would seem like a home run product, even if some elements of journalism as it's done today would be killed off and changed in the process. The trick is tweaking things for accuracy, and it's not clear that's possible, at least at the level required by the news industry quite yet. It does seem possible that it could get there eventually though, perhaps even in the near future. And one of the developments that might help it get there are partnerships like those between the AP and OpenAI, but also at the other end of the informational spectrum, moves like those being made by the Wikimedia Foundation, the nonprofit entity behind Wikipedia. Wikipedia is already being gobbled up informally by scraping tools used by AI companies to grab whatever they can from the internet and incorporate it into their library of knowledge, which then feeds their creations and informs what those creations know. This led to the creation of Wikimedia Enterprise, which is a separate business unit 
that allows the Wikimedia folks to more directly integrate with entities like Google, which in turn allows them to acquire funding more directly from would-be scrapers, financially benefiting from all that scraping in a way that allows them to sustain their nonprofit efforts and giving those who work with them more direct access to the flow of information on Wikipedia, which has over the past few years meant that Google has been able to update its search results-based data from Wikipedia using the most up-to-date info added to Wikipedia every 15 minutes or so, which is a remarkably fast turnaround for that much information. But it's also meant that AI systems can be kept remarkably up-to-date with foundational data shared on the Wikipedia service. So just as the AP shares high-quality reporting with some of these tools, potentially making them more useful for real-deal journalistic purposes, the same sort of data funnel might allow them to tap into information like historical figures' ages, or the formula used to calculate the density of nitrogen in different atmospheric conditions. Wikipedia is rife with flaws and bad data, and outright factual errors, of course, and its size means there are quite a lot of all of these sorts of issues even if it does tend to be remarkably accurate on average compared to other data sources, even other encyclopedias that have more formal editing processes. But the integration of these founts of information, those filled with info produced by professional journalists and editors, and those filled with info produced by volunteer crowdsourced versions of the same, could change the dynamic from where we are today, AI being kind of a laughable way of producing anything meant to look like journalism, to where we might be in a few years, where these tools bring more of the best data to the surface in the shape journalists need it to be in, which in turn allows them to produce more good journalism faster, while also plugging users directly into journalistically credible chatbots that can keep them informed automatically while also allowing them to ask questions of these AI bots that those bots stand a good chance of correctly answering with well-informed data that they have in their libraries. That, of course, is the rose-tinted, optimistic way of looking at things. The more complete reality is complicated and rife with potential downsides, including AI putting all the journalists out of work, AI devaluing sites like Wikipedia, as all its content will be consumable elsewhere, and that core content thus might become lower value over time because of that dissemination. We might also see a steady decrease in the quality of AI-generated articles, which could lead to rampant, unintentional misinformation spread. And though tech companies are reportedly volunteering to make clear what content on their services has been produced by AI, it's not obvious that this will do much good, as some pieces will be written by humans, but with AI assistance, and that could result in low-quality work too. The human writing informed by AI-produced made-up facts, even though a human technically typed up the resulting article, rather than having it generated word-for-word -word by software. We're at a strange, uncomfortable, potential-laden, but also risk-laden moment when it comes to the aggregation analysis and distribution of information. And this crossroads moment will be uncomfortable to live through because of all the novelty and the prior assumptions we will have to regularly check in on to make sure they still stand. And because what happens now could inform how we disseminate information 
over the next few decades. We may be living through a paradigm shift, in other words, which is often interesting and certainly not boring, but seldom pleasant for those in the midst of it. The book I'd like to recommend today is called Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives by Siddhartha Kara. This is an unfortunate and sad, but also necessary read. It's about cobalt, a material that's increasingly central to our lives as we try to electrify more of our civilization, something that's also necessary. But because cobalt is centralized, its resources most prominent in areas like the Congo, which are struggling as nations and struggling as governments, and in which there's a whole lot of human rights abuses, because of all that, the harvesting of this material, and thus the entire supply chain for many of these products that we so desperately need, these electrification commodities, they are inherently tainted by those abuses. Now, the specifics of this you could probably assume, but it does not hurt to become more viscerally aware of the shape of some of these abuses, so that when it comes to informing future decisions, and then maybe hopefully at some point moving away from cobalt as a necessary component of so many of these technologies, it's easier to understand the significance of that shift above and beyond the simple economics of it. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of Cobalt Red by Siddhartha Kara. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript of this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find my other news-centric podcast, One Sentence News, wherever you get your pods or at onesentencenews.com. Feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram and Colin Wright on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.